It's time to lead the people. The show for aspiring leaders at every level. If you want to boost your self-confidence, get noticed, and maximize your impact by leading others, you're in the right place. I'm your host, Matt Pepsel. Ready to lead? Follow me. My very special guest today is a passionate research leader focused on building user research practices inside organizations. Over the years, she's researched and designed experiences for communities of learners, educators, and enterprise clients at companies like Europe, edX, Pluralsight, and the Predictive Index, which is where I met her. She grounds her leadership in empathy and mindfulness. She is Roberta Dombrowski. Roberta, welcome. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you for having me. You and I go way back, way Way back. back. I think that might be where we would start, if that's okay. Can you take me back to when you and I first met? I was curious, where were you in your career at that time? And how is your perception of leadership, because this is a leadership variety show, yeah. uh, how is your perception of leadership then compared to how you think of it today? Yeah, um, I was definitely really early on in my career. I think I was actually two years out of undergrad. So I was a little baby, a little youngster. Um, I still remember meeting you actually uh, in the old PI office. Um underground basement type scenario yeah not a lot of lights (laughs) um and it's just wild to think it's been about six and a half seven years since then which is crazy um I think because I was so early on in my career I thought of leading as managing that's what I knew so I had managers in the past that I had worked with um it was really like all about how do you get the tasks done for this role Um, And even when I started at the predictive index, that's what I imagined. And my perception completely changed, um, fortunately, through working with you and the rest of the team. Yeah. It's so cool. So cool. I knew the moment that we met you, we knew we had to get you onto the team. (laughs) You were were, uh, obviously raw early in your career, but such a big heart and so committed to the mission and so eager to learn all the different aspects. So I can totally relate to what you, you know, what you described. You know, when I first joined, uh, took my first civilian job, my first real adult job, yeah. in the same way. I thought management was just like, get the job done, act mm-hmm. like a grown up, have some people, boss them around. You know, maybe not that part. <laughs> but, but, you know, it was, it was very much about getting the job done. And, yeah. and uh, it only was later that I learned a little bit more about that. Yeah, and I still, I do coaching actually with a member on my current team. Uh, She's a first-time manager, and I explained the other day in a meeting the difference between managing and leading to her, and it was the first time she had heard it, Um, and I think a lot of people who move from IC, individual contributor, into management still have that perception, too. I've met tons of managers over the years who think about managing rather than leading and inspiring and things like that. So Yeah, it doesn't help that there's so many times that you end up seeping in and out of these roles, you know, whether it's mm-hmm. coaching, managing, leading, mm-hmm. and, and there's not great definitions for any of them. And depending yeah. on what the situation calls for, you might choose to use one approach versus another. Mm-hmm. Very fluid. Um, and I feel very fortunate because while I was at PI, you dedicated, I think it was like an hour each week 
to meeting with me and having coaching sessions. And so you set a really high standard for me when it comes to managers. Thanks, Matt, um, <laughs> which is really great. Um, I've been really fortunate since then too, to have a lot of managers who are leaders and take the coaching approach of asking questions, um, understanding what motivates me and having that be the driver of the relationship rather than just like, oh, we have a deadline, it's Friday, we need to get these done. Um, because it's very robotic when you're just leading with managing tasks and outcomes. Um, people are the best part of business and the work that you do. I remember every relationship that I have with someone that I work with. So, yeah, know. that was that was a point I was going to make, which is that, you know, we talk about uh, leaders at every level. And I feel like even as an individual contributor, when I took that first job of mine, I still always considered myself a leader. And I think I tried to espouse that, you know, when you had joined my team, for example, yeah. and I saw you pay off on that because of the positive energy that you would bring, the questions, the thoughtful questions you would ask. Yeah. And then as you gain more experience, I know what happened was people would seek you out. And sometimes it was just for support, emotional response. Sometimes they need an answer to a question after you became yeah. one of the more experienced people. That's leadership, you know? So even if you don't have direct reports, you still have this opportunity to reinforce values or to, you know, pick up somebody's day or help them, you know, make them better or help them make their job a little bit easier. Yeah, I didn't really know that people saw me as leaders. And I remember having conversations with you about it too, because um, I would talk about the type of impact that I would want to have and the relationships I wanted to build. And you would ask me questions like, what's preventing you from doing that? You don't need the title right now to be able to do that. Um, and that allowed me to really focus on what are the relationships that I want to build with people? What are the type of impacts? And building up my own confidence while I was doing it as well. Um, and I've been an IC. Um, I'm still an IC right now currently, actually, for since that time. And I'm going to be moving into a management role. Um, but I still consider myself over the past seven years leading and influencing teams as well. So, yeah. Love that. Love that. Absolutely. It's so true. And I think that, you know, so if you're an early career leader and you're listening to the, to the show, it's absolutely possible to lead, even as an individual contributor. Yeah. You don't need that title like Roberta's sharing with us. And if you're a more experienced seasoned leader, just know that that title can actually change the effect of your leadership. Because now all of a sudden, mm -hmm. something you make as an offhanded comment, people are like, oh, this this person's a VP or something. They've got all these people that report to them. We should probably just do what they say. And you're like, well, wait, 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 hold on. That you know, I'm trying to help, you know, trying to provide some new perspective, not yeah. saying that I want this done. Yeah, that's one thing that I actually approach. I try to take um, just this morning, actually, I was working with a product owner on my team and he was talking about certifications and he's like, do you think I should get this? And at that moment, as a leader, you have two paths. You can answer the question and just answer it or you can reflect it back. And that's what I did. And I started a coaching conversation in the moment. I was like, what are you looking for? What are you hoping for? Um, and that's something, especially as you get higher too, um, it, reflecting the questions becomes so much more important because you're interacting with the person you're leading and seeing what they want rather than just giving them the answer, which might not be right for them. So yeah, somebody somebody has really taught you well, Roberta. <laughs> I love that active listening technique. You know, it, it really shows that you're actively listening, that you care, that you're checking in. 
you know, that you're having a dialogue. And I think that if you just were to say, oh, yeah, you should totally go do that. You think you could have it done this quarter? You're like, whoa, that's a very different response yeah. than asking me, like, well, how is that going to support your values or fill your cup? Mm -hmm. And they're like, oh, that's a good question. I hadn't really thought about that. I was doing it because, you know, my dad has that degree. And you're like, well, okay, that's probably not the best. <laughs> I had the best idea. You see it all. You know, you've been around for a long time. You end up seeing all kinds of different yeah. scenarios. Yeah, I did learn from the best. I, I well, that. it's the other thing, too, that I would not have appreciated earlier in my career. But the best joy that I personally have had as a leader is seeing people like yourself who have gone on to do great things, who have gotten comfortable in their own leadership skin and are now having that impact. Think about that. Mm -hmm. I don't know this person I've never talked to that you were talking about having a coaching moment with. But I was able to have a, a tiny little drop, you know, for you as others did who mm -hmm. went before me. And yeah. uh, and so the lineage continues. And that's it's a it's a really amazing thing that we don't spend a lot of time thinking about, but yeah. it makes me so happy. Yeah, I remember um one of our last kind of coaching conversations when I decided to transition and end my service at the predictive index, you said, All I want for you to do is kind of pass it along. And that resonated with me so much. And whenever I go into an environment or I have the opportunity to give back to others, I always try to do that. So anytime I have a conversation, whether it's a product manager or whatever the person's role might be, if I'm interacting with them, I always try to just hear them. How can I be of service is like the question that I try to ask myself a lot of the time. Um, and it changes based on context. So. Yeah. Definitely does. And, and that type of discernment about being comfortable enough to kind of read the room, call, mm -hmm. you know, slow it down enough to make the thoughtful decision. Is this a directive moment or is this a coaching moment? Mm -hmm. It comes with time. So again, if you're an, an early career person, don't beat yourself up if you don't know exactly what to do in the moment. It just, it gets easier. It really does. Yeah. Yeah. I have moments all the time. That's part of leadership too, is um, recognizing when you don't know the answer and you're like, I have no idea. I've had coaching sessions where I've said that in management, like on projects where I'm just like, I don't know. <laughs> and that's a part of it too, because you're human. You're making yeah. mistakes right along with your direct reports, right around, along with other leaders too. So there's vulnerability and truth in that too. There's another great point by you, because the reality is as you rise in an organization, then you're expected to look further down the road as to what's coming. Mm -hmm. So that means by definition, you're looking six months, you know, a year, 18 months into the future, yeah. there's more uncertainty. You're not going to know. You're not going to have yeah. the answers. And so you become more comfortable if you're doing it right in not having to be the one who says, oh, I know exactly what's, you know, what the answer is. It's like, no, you can't. So, but then it doesn't take away from your expertise or your capability. You've just entered yeah. a, a domain where you're not expected to know. So don't pretend like you do. Yeah, exactly. And I get a little um, apprehensive when I meet people who say they know everything too, because um, it's a impossible. There's no such thing as like certainty or being 100% sure. You're making decisions, strategies based on percentages, bets. Um, yeah. And as a leader, being able to just explain that to your team uh, and talk that through, I think goes a long way to building trust too. So. Can you imagine in, in uh, March of last year? <laughs> yeah. When somebody's saying, oh, I've seen it all. Oh, have you? You've seen it all, huh? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. <laughs> well, it's interesting. We're talking a little bit about uh, an area that you have gone on since the time that you transitioned from my team and you started to uh, develop your uh, 
expertise in a different area. And that's all about uh, user, for lack of a better term, user experience. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the term experience, what I've observed is that it's really become a focal point for companies. Mm-hmm. Where there was, you know, a book one uh, a couple of years ago called The Experience Economy. And you think mm-hmm. about customer experience, product experience, employee experience. Now there's all kinds of experiences. Mm-hmm. And I really wanted to have you on the show because I think that I wanted to see, uh, is there a connection in your mind uh, or a possible way of thinking for leaders to think about the experience that they're providing to their followers mm-hmm. uh, from that follower's perspective. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I've dabbled in all the experiences that you talked about, employee, customer, product. Um, the best way that I try to think about it is if you're trying to think about your direct reports or even if you're hiring somebody, um, so say a candidate applies for a role on your team, what is their experience from the moment they hear about your organization they click that apply button. Now they're onboarding. It's their first day of work. How are you setting the tone with them? Uh, understanding their career direction, wants and needs, um, interacting with them on projects. There's so many different touch points that you're having with your direct reports. Um, and so thinking about what are their needs, motivations, behaviors, how can you help get them where they're looking to go? Um, well, also obviously a comp like, driving outcomes for the business or whatever it might be. But um, really, I try to incorporate empathy into the way that I interact with people. So um, integrating just like, just like we're talking, just mindful communication uh, techniques and really trying to just pull out and listen. Because a lot of the times, especially nowadays, you're talking to people and you might already be two steps ahead thinking about, oh, we have to think about this task we're working on or this project, but slowing down and just being one-on-one and present with someone and holding space too, I think is something that's really important, so. Yeah, I, I really totally believe in that. And I think it's so easy to try to jump to a solution mode. So if, mm. if one of your people brings you a problem and you're like, okay, let's get this fixed. You're like, well, wait a second, hold on. I'm trying to build problem solvers as much as I'm trying to solve this problem. So as a leader, your job isn't just to solve the problem, but it's to create people who kind of make you obsolete in some ways. Mm -hmm. And and I think trying to help influence and and develop the way that they think and do their own problem solving, Mm -hmm. really important. I I think one of the reasons that you and I always made such a great team is because we both have this sort of shared values, like you mentioned, space and appreciating Mm -hmm. the role of experience. But what you're so much better at than me is that I tend to think about things and talk about things. And you're like, we should probably be writing some of this down. And so maybe other people can benefit from seeing what this experience is like, you know? Yeah, and, yeah. and you're like, oh, yeah, we probably should do that. <laughs> yeah, I definitely remember uh, t- two peas in a pod, definitely complementary styles in that respect. Um, but yeah, like uh, being able to have those conversations, holding space, writing things down, inspiring others, that's what's really about leading. Um, and once you're able to have those, like build that trust with your direct reports or the people on your team, you know what they're, where they're interested in going. You can ask questions to get them there, provide stretch assignments too. Um, And another way that I try to incorporate like mindfulness and empathy into the way that I work with people is thinking about feedback um, is something that I believe is so under talked about, (laughs) but just being mindful, like, is this person in a state to receive feedback from me? 
what is the best way to frame this feedback? Um, frequency of feedback, like there's so much, there's so much nuance involved um, when talking about it, so yeah. I think that's a really good tangible example. And I think one of the things that I love working with user researchers like yourself is to start to pull apart an experience that otherwise seems, it's almost like it's subconscious. So let's, mm. let's build on that example. So now I'm a leader and I know that I need to deliver some feedback. And let's say it's mm -hmm. it's it's tough feedback. It's something yeah. that could have been better. It's not like devastating. We're not having that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we're having, we need to have sort of that awareness. So now all of a sudden I say, okay, great. I have a decision to make. I have a regular schedule one-on-one, -on -one, let's mm -hmm. say weekly. Is that the right moment to give that feedback? So now you could think about the experience of yeah. everything from, are we going to have it in my office, which is sort of mm -hmm. a power move? Are we going to mm -hmm. have it while we're walking around the building, make it a little bit more casual? Yeah. Um, am I going to be on time? Am I going to be prepared? Like, yeah. How formal do I want it to feel? Yeah, yeah. And um, I remember we used to do walking meetings in the office and we'd talk that way. And sometimes like in form formality versus formality, like maybe you just slack it. You don't know, maybe it's something super small and you message it. Um, and even thinking about the nuance of um, kind of like synchronous versus asynchronous communication. Like now we have Zoom if you want to give it to them live. Um, Slack, if not, or what, like Google Hangouts or whatever it might be. Um, and we also can't do it in person, a lot of us right now. So it's going to be remote. It's going to be virtual in some way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so many different uh, levers. I like to describe them as levers um, and tools to use and techniques you can use at your disposal. And, and I know that um, if you were in the software business or somebody who gets the, the the pleasure, I would say, of working with user research and user experience professionals, you just see this staggering array of tools and techniques mm -hmm. and everything. And, and so when we're thinking about leaders who maybe don't have as much exposure to true user research, mm -hmm. are there some examples that, that you know, just everyday leaders like uh, like myself before and um, can use to better understand which of their leadership techniques are working the way they want or to kind of pull apart that experience? Are there, is there any tools you'd recommend? Yeah, I mean, I think um, I do a lot of interviews with people. Like I wouldn't formally call them interviews, but that's what they are, like customer interviews, employee interviews, just sitting one-on-one -on -one and having a conversation, um, having coaching questions or prompts that you ask people on your team. Um, I do a lot of surveys when I'm doing like employee experience work, depending upon like the size of the team that I'm working with or organization. Um, I've done things like company value surveys, team value surveys, uh, quarterly reviews. So seeing how your team, um, are they motivated? Are they inspired? Um, keeping track of that, especially with COVID. Sometimes you don't know and you're not able to check in one-on-one -on -one with everyone. So surveys are great for just seeing trends over time and checking in. Um, but those are some of the primary ways that I definitely will do like employee experience um, research with teams. So. If you're a leader and you're managing a team of people, is there a difference or would you recommend one way or the other of, of talking to people one-on-one -on -one versus addressing and, and talking to the group? What are some of the pros and cons of group-based, almost like a focus session versus individual? 
Yeah, it definitely depends. Um, I base it, it's all, I always say it's always context dependent. Um, I try to think about, break it down into like, what's the core problem I'm trying to solve or core outcome. Um, and then also thinking about the team styles. So if I have a team of seven people, um, I know I have three engineers, highly technical, they don't want to get lovey-dovey in a big group and do team exercises. <laughs> I might talk to them one-on-one. -on -one. Um, but sometimes we have like uh, team group meetings. I have one coming up within the next few weeks to talk about like team values in our actual experience team. Um, and so for that, I'm, I'm going to plan more of a team workshop session. Um, and I'll also think about the type of like activities that I want to incorporate if I'm doing team based off of the outcomes that I want to. Um, the benefits and like kind of differences is teams, it's, there's a lot of bias with when you get teams together because depending upon like extroverts, introverts, one person might dominate the conversation or be more apt to talk up. And some people who are more introverted might kind of not speak out as much. Um, so you might want to incorporate different types of activities if you have different personalities in the room. One-on-one, um, -on -one, you can usually go deeper. So you can ask the person more about their goals. What are they looking to do? Have a conversation, deeper listening. Um, I'll use that a lot for coaching and mentoring sessions related to like career pathing or career tracks like that. Um, so there's really like a time and a place for both and it's dependent upon your goal, the team goals, et cetera. Now, when you and I were working together, it was well before, you know, much of the world went remote work. Yeah, yeah. And we talked extensively about extroversion, introversion, and this was right around the time that I believe it was Susan Cain that wrote the book, Quiet. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. I remember you and I had lots of conversations about that. And so I wanted to ask you, as an introvert, a more introverted person, how have you found sort of this move to to zoom first like has, has it been like from a leader's perspective who has people on their team that might be a little bit more introverted what should we know about the good and the bad of, of zoom world i love it um i've been waiting for remote first for a long time i mean i love hybrid too but my day-to-day -day has not changed that much like we used to meet in the morning in the office and i'd be drinking my tea, reading like news updates on my computer. I do that now, but it's at home. Um, I find that I'm more in control of my schedule. I crossed off a four hour commute, so I don't need to do that anymore, which is really nice. Um, and I, I set up my mornings for like deep work because that's what I know works best for me. And then afternoon are my meetings and I usually have meetings. Um, group meetings, workshops, user interviews, whatever it might be. But it's changed where like the, just the candidness and um, spur of the moment conversations aren't there as much. Um, I do miss those for sure, um, but I still can have them. I can still do like a Slack call or a call to someone. It's just in a different way. Um, but I really like it because I get to go deep and have my deep work time, um, which you know I love. So <laughs> certainly do. I tell you, where it really what I love about our conversation today is that in my own leadership model, I talk about three things. I say self mastery, mm -hmm. inspiring others, delivering results. That's three things mm -hmm. I think every leader must do. 
Now you've touched on all three. When you talk about the importance of inspiring other people, we talk about starting with the end in mind when you're doing those types of interviews and figuring mm -hmm. out about the effect your leadership is having. And now, Bert, what you're talking about is knowing yourself and when can you do your best work of a yeah. different certain type and you've set up your deep work for a time frame, you matched it to your body's cycle, like yeah. that is self-mastery personified. So you've, you've hit on all three of, of the legs of school <laughs> in my mind. I, I I think I learned from Beth. I definitely learned from you. Um, yeah. Well, as much as I appreciate that, you also know that uh, I can be a bit of a of an unpredictable fellow. I like to have my fun. <laughs> so what I did for you, Berta, is I wrote a game for you. Uh oh. A guessing game. It could yeah. be a total disaster, you know, because oftentimes <laughs> my my adventures are. But I call it uh, six degrees of design. Okay. Ready? Six degrees of yeah, design. Yeah. What this is, is I went and I found the top six design programs in the United States. Oh, geez. Cool. <laughs> so we're going to start and work our way from the bottom up. I'm going to give you clues and you're going to be able to guess the program. Okay. And I'm just going to help us with the first two because I had no idea. The sixth uh, one is the College for Creative Studies in Detroit. I had never heard of that school. No, yeah, you know, no, no. you're gonna have heard of the top four for sure. But uh, this no, this one, I'm sure you've you've uh, probably heard of this one. It's the New York School of Interior Design. Huh? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So th those were those were fine. Those were gimme. We're just warming yeah, up. Yeah. Okay. Now here comes the first real one. I'll give you the clue. Uh, tiny little state. Is Rhode Island School of Design? Bang! Yeah. I knew it. Ding 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 ding. That's the fourth uh, program right there. Yeah. Um, this one. Uh, it's a school in Pittsburgh, uh, named after a, a wealthy steel magnate from back in the day. I should know this because I went to Pittsburgh like to visit too. I'm totally blanking. It's uh, similar to Carnegie Deli, it's, uh, Carnegie Deli in New York. Oh, Carnegie Mellon, Carnegie yeah. Mellon, <laughs> Carnegie Mellon University. Um, we got uh, so that was the, the third most program. The second one is actually from my home state, which I know that that, that you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Named after. Uh, yeah. Named after our our first president. Oh jeez, George Washington. Yeah, Washington yeah. University. So yeah, Worcester, yeah. Worcester is uh, known for a lot of things, but I did not realize that their design program was rated that high. I didn't either. Yeah. Interesting. And then the top rated program is way out west. Uh, you can think about plenty of sunshine. Uh, the, the the Trojans are their mascot. I'm trying to think of somebody famous. Boise. No, it's a little further down south. And it's actually the, the University of Southern California, USC. Oh, USC. Yeah. How in the world did they get to have the top design program? Like I thought RISD, the Rhode Island School of Design, mm -hmm. uh, top four. It's, it's yeah, remarkable. yeah, yeah for such a, a, a very specific school. You know, the other yeah. one that didn't show up on there that I would have expected was SCAD, you know, the Savannah College of Yeah, Arkansas. yeah, I, uh, I applied there. I applied to USC for undergrad too. Um, wow. They have really amazing programs. I'm yeah. surprised SCAD wasn't mentioned. That's interesting. Yeah, it must've been a little bit further down the list. I actually uh, also went to SCAD to uh, look for my oldest daughter when she was considering it. But I think what's really amazing is that so much now of design is making its way. When you started to see Apple coming out with products, even the unboxing mm -hmm. experience we've all had uh, <laughs> by Apple products, like high design is everywhere. So I'm surprised yeah. at these programs, I bet they're pretty competitive right now because we're designing all these experiences and it takes a designer's mind to get it right. 
Yeah, for a lot of um, entry level design roles now, they're actually requiring master's degrees, which is wild to me. Um, I'm very much into people pivoting into design, so you don't need a degree. You can come from customer success, sales, product, whatever it is. Um, oh, I'm that. Yeah, <laughs> I am the queen pivoter of moving into things. So, yeah. Well, that is so cool. I will get you out of here with this one. Where can my listeners, Berta, go to learn more about you and connect with you? Yeah, um, I have a personal website, robertalearns.com. Um, and then I just released my mindfulness offerings too. Um, I'm a mindfulness teacher, so you can go to learnmindfully.co as well. I love it. I will include both of those links in the show notes and in the episode description. So you don't even have to leave your podcast app to go find Berta online. Thank you, Berta, so much for coming on the show. Yeah. It's so great to see you again. Thank you. Yeah, it's really good to see you too. Here are my totally terrific top three takeaways from today's episode. One, leaders operate at every level. Whether you're an individual contributor or a CEO, if you woke up this morning, you have the opportunity to be a leader. Two, no leader is perfect. You're a work in progress, and as you expand your leadership scope, you won't have all the answers. Be transparent and honest about this with your team. Three, your leadership is an experience. Take a moment to check in with your followers and peers to find out where that experience is positive and where it could use some polish. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider hitting the subscribe button in your favorite podcast app. Thanks for making this investment in your leadership ability, and thanks for sharing this podcast with another aspiring leader who needs to hear it. All right, leaders, until next time. Don't just manage the business when you can lead the people. I am the queen pivoter of moving into things.